Well, good evening. Turn, if you would, tonight to the book of 2 Corinthians. It's good to see each of you tonight. We've still got several out who are sick right now, so we need to be in prayer for those who are sick. And uh, the nuns are traveling. And by the nuns, I mean Brother Cecil and Bertie. Uh, they are traveling, so be in prayer for them. And uh, pray that the Lord will give them safety. They are in Arkansas for a funeral uh, coming up Friday, so just be in prayer for their safety. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good again to be in your house tonight. I do pray that you'd bless this effort to preach your word. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. God, I know that each of us need this at different times in our lives. There's, there's no denying that. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, to consider this and that we would use it at the appropriate times. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, you may remember, uh, you may remember that last week we began looking at chapter 10 and we know that from chapter 9 to chapter 10, there was quite the shift in thought. Uh, Paul no longer was dealing with the subject of the offering for the believers in Jerusalem that was being received by other churches. He was now addressing this battle that was taking place uh, really in the hearts and minds of many of the believers, or at least some of the believers there at the church of Corinth that was rooted in uh, uh, these false prophets who was trying to undermine, undermine the testimony and the reputation of Paul. And as Paul considered that and as Paul addressed it, what he made clear was this, is that it was a spiritual battle that he was engaged in, that this was a battle that could not be fought with the artillery or the weapons of man. Uh, it was not a warfare that was carnal in nature, but rather it was a spiritual warfare that had to be addressed from a spiritual standpoint. And so last week I tried to remind us that more times than not, when we find ourselves in conflict with others, there is a spiritual reason for that on many, many occasions. So many of the conflicts that we find ourselves in, there is a spiritual cause for that, and so because of that, we have to be willing to fight, so to speak, from the spiritual standpoint, because if we try to go about it from a carnal standpoint, uh, no victory will ever be achieved. It has to be a spiritual approach that we take to these conflicts and to these issues that we face from time to time. So that's what we talked about last week. This evening we are moving on, and we're going to look at the rest of this chapter, though we're not going to look at all of it in great detail. Before we get started, though, I want to share a story with you. Some of you know, others of you would not, of course, but some of you know that my parents live in the Oklahoma City area. Some of you have been to their house, so you know where they live. But since most of you don't know where they live, I'm just going to describe it real quick. They live on a relatively decent-sized patch of land, and it just happens to butt up to a very busy street and a very busy thoroughfare. So right there is their land, and right beside it is a four-lane road with all sorts of traffic, both cars, bicycles, joggers, etc. So whenever they built the house years ago, they built a fence for the sake of privacy and also for the sake of some security. They didn't want people to just to be able to wander into their backyard. And so that's what they had built and everything was fine. But over the years with the storms, the weather, things of that nature, it eventually fell apart. It was no good. So they took it down with the intentions of building a new fence. 
Now, I know this story isn't exciting, but just stay with me, okay, because it's going to get to a really exciting point in a minute, and you're just going to be thrilled. So it was torn down, and the intention was to rebuild it. And so my dad was going to do this himself to save some money. So you understand what this is like. Their oldest son, my only brother, said, Dad, I'll help. And then there was some pressure put on me to help. So I rearranged my schedules to accommodate their schedules. So on a Friday afternoon, Nathan and I got into the car and we headed toward Moore to help my dad and mom and my brother with the project that next day. And not only did I get to go, I had the privilege of pulling a trailer with a tractor on the back of it with all the post for it. So I've got the furthest distance to go, of course, and I've got the heaviest equipment, and it always takes longer when you're doing that kind of stuff. So I've rearranged my schedule. It's taken longer to get there. I've got the anxiety of pulling a trailer with a tractor on it and all this other stuff. Get there Friday evening, have supper. Everything's ready to go Saturday morning. We get up Saturday morning. My brother comes over at the appointed time, and he begins asking questions like this. Dad and Mom, do you really need to replace the fence? Dad and Mom, I don't think you need a fence. I think it looks better without a fence. This is early on a Saturday morning. As my parents stood there and visited with my brother for just a couple of moments, I mean, this was not a long discussion. You know what my parents said? Yeah, I think you're right. We don't need the fence. I think it'd look better without the fence. What do you think, honey? Oh, I think you're right. I don't think we need the fence. I, I think it'd be just fine without the fence. No, I don't think it'd be a problem by way of safety, security, or, or anything of that nature. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking... I've rearranged my schedule for you all. I've pulled a tractor down here. It's taken longer than it normally takes to get here. I, I mean, no offense, but I didn't just need to come for a visit just for the sake of a visit. So I was kind of frustrated. And none of you would have been. I'm just saying I was kind of frustrated. And because of my frustration, it wasn't that I really care whether or not they had a fence, but I was lobbying hard for a fence. I've driven, I've put forth the effort, I've done all these things, and you're telling me early on a Saturday morning, this couldn't have been decided Friday morning? So I'm lobbying, I'm telling them all the reasons why I think they need a fence, why I think it'd be best if they need a fence, to no avail. And you know what I was made aware of in that moment? My opinion meant absolutely nothing. My opinion to them meant absolutely nothing. Was I frustrated? Yes. Did it change anything? Not a thing. They still don't have a fence. Now, I want to ask you, just think about this. Just, just think about it for a moment. Ask yourself, have you ever found yourself in a position where it was obvious no one cared what you thought? 
We've probably all been there at some point in our lives, right? You're telling somebody this is what you think. You're telling somebody this is how it ought to be. Whatever the situation may be, you are, you are making your case for your thoughts, your beliefs, your, your ideas, and, and you just know at the end of the conversation, they don't care. Your opinion was worthless. It meant nothing to them. Again, it's frustrating when we're in a position like that, but it doesn't change the facts. If they don't care, they don't care. Now, as we hold on to that principle, keep in mind that Paul is still addressing this issue with the false teachers and the false prophets who have come into the church of Corinth, and he is still trying to persuade those who may still be hanging in the balance, so to speak, as to whether or not they believe the false prophets or they believe the testimony of Paul. And so as, as all this is being played out and Paul is addressing this and he is dealing with this, I want us to look now in verse number 7, okay? Again, we're just going to kind of go through this relatively quickly, but I want us to, to look at this, what Paul said in verse number 7. He said, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? He said, If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ... Even so are we, Christ. What is Paul trying to convey in this statement? What is Paul trying to, to get them to see and to get them to understand? Well, the idea seems to be this, is that Paul is wanting them to realize that anyone can claim to be a mouthpiece for Christ. Anyone can claim to be a prophet. Anyone can claim to be a teacher. So if you've got people in your midst, Paul might say, who are claiming to be of Christ, and they are claiming to be there with the authority of Christ, well, keep in mind, I can make the same claim as they can. So there's no distinction or no uniqueness based on their claim. So he's trying to remind them anyone can say that they are Christ. As you look through the next few verses, you see this, that Paul is, is explaining and dealing with what the accusation was, that in the letters he was strong, but in the presence he was weak, and his speech was contemptible, he says in verse number 10. In verse number 11, he just said this, Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, absent such will we be also indeed when we are present. So what is Paul saying in verse number 11? He's just saying this, listen, when we get there, we will be the same in person as we are in letter. You can count on that. So if you think I'm strong, if you think I've got a forceful approach in the letter, if I need to be, I will be that way in person when I am in your presence. But we come to verse number 12, and, and this is kind of an important part of the message. I, I want us to really look at this. He said, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with them that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Now, what I want us to focus on in this verse and in this statement is this, is that Paul said there were some who commended themselves. They commended themselves. What does it mean whenever Paul says that they commended themselves? It just means this, that they showered themselves with praise. 
that they they complimented themselves. They they extolled themselves. It's kind of like this. They sat around and told people how good they were. That's what the false prophets and that's what the false teachers were doing is they were they were declaring their greatness and they were declaring their goodness. And so what Paul said is just this. He said, "I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Why would Paul opt out of doing such a thing? I think common sense kind of answers that question. If you're going to battle someone who is impressed with themselves, you are never going to win that argument. If someone is convinced of how great they they are and how wonderful they are, it wouldn't matter what you said. They are going to be better than you can imagine, better than you can think. So Paul said, that's not an approach I'm going to take. But he did say of those who commended themselves, he said they measure themselves. So they, again, compare themselves one against another. And he said those that do this, they compare themselves among themselves they are not wise. So what does it mean if something is not wise? It means it's foolish. If something is foolish, it means this. It's dumb. Is that fair to say? Come on. If people are just sitting around comparing themselves amongst themselves, that is not a smart approach to take. That is not a smart way to go through life just comparing yourself among yourselves and so Paul says this is what they do and I'm not going to get into that game so in verse number 13 he just says but we will not boast of things without our measure but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us a measure to reach even unto you again just kind of the general idea or the thought of this verse is this Paul said we're not going to exaggerate our ministry We're not going to sit around and talk about how great we are and how wonderful we are. He said, we will not boast of things without our measure. We're just not going to do that. In verse number 14, he says, For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you, also in preaching the gospel of Christ. So the ministry had taken them as far as Corinth. But he says in verse number 15, just to try to get through this quickly, he said, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall, in be, in, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. So Paul is talking about how he hopes the ministry will expand into other regions where others have not gone, where others have not preached the gospel. And he says in verse number 16, to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. So essentially all Paul is saying is this, is we do not want to piggyback on the ministries of someone else. We're wanting to go into new regions. We're wanting to go into new territories. And we want to go as far as God will allow us to go in presenting the gospel to other nations. So here's Paul, and what is he doing? He is combating the false teaching. He is combating the false prophets who are trying to sway the mindset and the thinking of believers there in Corinth. And Paul just says this, that's not the game we're going to play. We're not going to get into that. Uh, that, That's just not how we work. That's not how we operate. This is what we're hoping to do, taking the gospel into other regions. 
So in verse number 17, Paul said, But he that glorieth, or he that would boast, let him glory or boast in the Lord. That's good advice, isn't it? It's excellent advice that if you want to boast in anything, if you want to glory in anything, then glory in what the Lord has done through you. Don't glory or boast in what you think you have done. Glory and boast in the Lord and what he has accomplished. So now we get to verse number 18, which is where the sermon will come from. It's a short sermon, so don't be nervous. Verse number 18, here is what he said. For not he that commendeth himself is approved. For not he that commendeth himself is approved. I'm going to ask you again, what does it mean to commend oneself? It just means this, to shower oneself with praise. It means to compliment oneself, to extol or, or, or to brag on oneself. So what is Paul saying? He is saying that there are those, he already mentioned it in verse number 12, he said there are those who commend themselves, but he said he that commendeth himself, it is not he that commendeth himself that is approved. What does it mean then to be approved? It means to be officially accepted as satisfactory. All right? It's like an official declaration that one is what they're supposed to be. It's an official declaration. It carries this idea with it. That one is thought favorably of. So there are people, Paul says, and we don't know their names, and here's what they do. They sit around and they brag on themselves. And they sit around and they tell themselves, and maybe they tell others how great they are and everything that they've accomplished. But Paul reminds them that it is not those that commend themselves or brag on themselves who are officially acceptable or those who are favored highly in the eyes of others. He finishes the verse by saying this, but whom the Lord commendeth. But whom the Lord commendeth. Now this may not seem really exciting, but this is actually relevant and it's important, okay? He's talking about being approved. He's talking about being acceptable. He is talking about the one who is favored. And he says, listen, for the ones who have determined for themselves that they are approved and they tell everybody how great they are and they brag on themselves and they make it known how wonderful they are. He said, you got to know those are not the ones who are approved. It is only those that the Lord commends. It is only those that the Lord sings the praises of. It is only those that the Lord speaks highly of who are actually approved. 
So here are the false prophets, and here are the false teachers, and here are the believers in Corinth, and what are the false teachers and the false prophets of the opinion of? They are of the opinion that they are everything they need to be. They are of the opinion that they are everything they're supposed to be. And you know what Paul reminded them of? Their opinion of themselves meant nothing. So you think you're good? You think you're great? You think you're deep? You think you're scholarly? You think you're all these things? Well, guess what? Your opinion of yourself doesn't matter to anyone. The only opinion that matters in relation to you is God's opinion. And if God doesn't approve you, then it doesn't matter how many of you approve one another, you're still not approved. The only, the only opinion that matters, the only opinion that counts is the opinion of God. And if he says you're approved, if he says you are satisfactory, if he says that, that you are of a favorable personality, for lack of better words, if you have the stamp of approval of God on your life, then it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. The only opinion that matters is God's opinion. Now again, how did they come to this conclusion that they were so great? How did they come to this conclusion that they were approved, that they were acceptable, that, that they were all these things they promoted themselves to be? Well, it seems like from verse number 12, to kind of tie in the context to all of this, it seems as though they convinced themselves they were so good because they compared themselves among themselves. Can you kind of see how this would have played out? A group of men, whatever size and number, we don't know. Well, I think you're good. Well, I think you're good. Well, I think you're great. Well, I think you're great. Well, I think you're fantastic. Well, I think you're fantastic. I think you're really godly. Well, I think you're really godly. And so they're sitting around telling everybody, we're great. So they think they're great. And Paul said, you're not so great. The only ones who are great or the only ones who are approved are the ones who God approves. Now, this evening, I know that you know this, that, that we're, not, we're not in the middle of this attack necessarily, uh, dealing with the authority of the Apostle Paul in our church. So, so to try to make direct application would be kind of, well, it'd be kind of nonsense and it would be irrelevant, would it not? It would be. So, so we can't really approach it from that angle, but let's approach it from the broader principle and let's see if there is some application to be made. And I'll just let you know there is some application to be made, okay? All right, so that's why we're doing this. There really is a reason for this. I want to ask you this evening, how many of us have ever known people, not from 2,000 years ago, but we have known people from our, our everyday lives, and here is what they are convinced of. They are convinced that they are really good people. You ever known people like that? They are convinced that they are good people. 
And to try to convince them otherwise is really a waste of time and really a waste of your breath and a waste of your effort. We, we've all known people like that, have we not? Okay. If you think about that, it kind of begs this question. How do people get to that position in their thinking where they are convinced that they're okay, that there's nothing wrong, and there's nothing that they need to work on? How do the people that we know get to that position? Well, I think if we stick with the principle of the text, we could say this. That people have a tendency even today to compare themselves among themselves. And so here is what people all across society do. They look at people and they find someone who is more base than them, who would be lower than them in whatever realm they decide to be important. And based upon that person, whoever it may be that they're picking on, whatever they may do that's not as good as them, that's what convinces them that they're good and they're okay and they're just a notch above everyone else. I mean, let's think about it. I don't do what that person does. I don't live how that person does, so I'm better than them. Well, that's just somebody's opinion. And guess what? That person's opinion doesn't matter. Okay, so you found somebody that you're better than. At least you don't do that. At least you don't live that way. Well, well, guess what? You may have commended yourself, but it doesn't mean you're approved in the sight of God. The only thing that approves you in the sight of God is God approving you. But our, but our culture and our society doesn't want to hear that. We live in a day that does not, we live in a day where people do not want to be told that the standard is God and not the standard that they have created for themselves. So therein lies the struggle so many times in trying to visit with people and trying to convince people that, that they need a relationship with the Lord. No, 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 I'm good, I'm all right. And they have concluded that because, again, they are better than someone else that they can point to. But tonight, I want us to think about this. How does that hit home and and manifest itself sometimes in our lives? Because it can happen, can't it? I want to ask you tonight, I know the answer, but how many of you tonight would say, I am one sorry individual? Would anybody say? Okay, John, take it easy, okay? Just take it easy, just a little bit. I don't know. I'm just, how, how many of us would say we're sorry individuals? Most of us wouldn't, would we? Most of us wouldn't. Most of us would get mad if somebody suggested we were sorry individuals. If I walked up to you and said, you're sorry, you'd probably look at me and say, well, you are too. <laughs> we would be offended by the thought that we're sorry individuals. Now, if if we're just going to try to make this as practical and as relevant as we possibly can by way of principle, let's consider this question. 
Why are you and I convinced that we're good people? You know what it usually boils down to? Because in our minds, we're better than so many other people. Is that fair to say? We are comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. We are comparing ourselves amongst people in culture, in in our society. And so it is so easy for us to say, I am good because I'm better than them. I mean, after all, look at what I do. I come to church on a regular basis. That's what good people do. Well, good people do go to church, but we've got to be reminded you're not good just because you come to church. Somebody says, well, you know, I'm a good person because I read my Bible. Well, good people read their Bibles, but it doesn't mean we're good just because we read our Bible this week. The, the person says, well, I'm good because I pray. And I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they don't pray. So therefore, I'm good. No, th- that is not the, the, the reasoning that we're allowed to have that, that justifies our goodness. We're not able to commend ourselves and say, I am approved because I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray. Listen, our opinion on the matter matters nothing at all. Somebody says, well, we give of our tithes and we give of our offerings. We hold very high standards in our personal lives. We're very careful in the places that we will and will not go. There are certain things that we will and will not do. And so we look at people who go to these places and do these things and and they don't have the same standards as us and, and they're just not like us. And so what do we do? We convince ourselves we're good. And we think that because we've determined we're good, that's all that matters. And sometimes what we like to do is get certain people to reaffirm our goodness Because that really solidifies our goodness if other people tell us how good we are. I'll just try to illustrate this. Susie could say to me, you're such a good man. I'm so blessed to have you as my husband. She could say those things to me and that could really reinforce what I already know, that I am that good. I mean, not only do I think I'm good, my wife just told me I'm good. Just today, one of my kids sent me a very sweet, kind, thoughtful, encouraging text. Just a very sweet text You know what I could say? Well, I must be good because not only do I think I'm good, I've got at least one out of three kids who think I'm pretty decent. The other two, they're just not expressive enough, but I know they mean it. They just, they haven't told me yet. So I must be good because my kids tell me I'm good. 
well, I must be good because my parents, I mean, they were here this weekend and they told me I'm good. You understand what I'm getting at? I don't know that all of us do or maybe we're not all too interested in this. I'm just saying we can find enough people to tell us that we're good by, by just what they've considered to be good. And so we can just go through life saying we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. And we've got to be reminded that we don't have the ability to approve ourselves or to declare our approval. Our opinion means nothing. The only one who is able to approve us is the Lord. And if the Lord has not approved us, then guess what? We're not approved. We're not declared officially to to be satisfactory in his eyes. If if we don't have it from the Lord, then, then we're not in a favorable position. The only one who is able to truly approve us is God. Only his opinion matters. So what is of most importance? What is of supreme importance? That we have his approval, no matter what anyone else may say or think. It doesn't matter if Susie and the kids and my parents or you, the church family, tell me I'm good. What I need to know is that I am where I'm supposed to be with the Lord and nothing else by way of my relationship. Again, will it include me being faithful to church, reading my Bible, praying, and all those things? Well, of course it will, but I can do all those things and not be right with God. And so what I've got to be concerned about is not, am I okay in my own opinion? Am I okay in the opinions of others? I've got to ask myself, and I've got to make it a matter of prayer and concern of mine, God, am I okay with you? God, am I where I'm supposed to be with you? God, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing in your opinion, not anyone else's opinion? At the end of the day, the only opinion that matters is God's. And all too often, I think all too often, we as people, We get comfortable in our own goodness because we've decided we're good and somebody else has told us we're good. And we just need to be reminded that doesn't matter at all. Are we approved of him? Is he commending us? Because in the end, that's all that matters. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to take just a moment to look at ourselves and to ask before you whether or not we're really where we're supposed to be. Lord, it's easy to 
suggest that we're where we're supposed to be. It's easy to just assume that. But Lord, it may not always be the case. So God, I pray that you'd help us to be honest before you. And if there's anything that needs to change, that we'd be willing to do so. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.